I'll be speaking to you this morning from Nehemiah chapter 12, verses, verses 31 through 47, concerning serving the Lord. And let me begin this morning by reminding you of our last text that we looked at in Nehemiah 12, the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt under Nehemiah's leadership, verses 27 through 31. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of Netophetites, from Beth Gilgal, and from their fields in Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. We see here, we're reminded that the Levites were sought out from the surrounding villages for the dedication of the wall. This was a dedication of celebration with gladness and hymns of thanksgiving. They were thankful for God's faithfulness in their lives, for the completion of the wall. They were not celebrating their own abilities or their accomplishment. They were celebrating God's faithfulness in leading them to complete the construction of the wall and the gates. Notice the priests, the Levites, the people, the gates and the wall were all purified. Reminding us this morning that God is holy and sinful man cannot worship God or be used of God without purification. We must be made holy to come into the presence of a holy God. Then we come to verse 31. Nehemiah writes, Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall towards the refuge gate. Notice first, Nehemiah is taking a large number, actually two choirs and the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. Now, I think this is significant because of what had happened back in chapter four, verse three. Remember what Tobiah had said? Verse three of chapter four, now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they are building, if a fox jump on it, he would break down their stone wall. Tobiah makes fun of the construction. And of course, it wasn't finished. They were in the building process when Tobiah said that. But he was exaggerating. He was lying. He was not truthful. Now, Nehemiah takes two choirs and the leaders of Jerusalem, the leaders of Judah, up onto the walls, and they are firm. There is no issue there. Notice also, Nehemiah is bringing the leaders, as I've already mentioned, up onto the wall. And this is significant, I believe, because some leaders had not supported and worked in the restoration of the walls. 
Remember back to chapter 3, verse 5? Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. You see, no matter what position a person has, that person is responsible to serve. Yes, elders are to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, no doubt. But that does not mean that an elder cannot serve in other ways as is needed. No one is above any task, no matter the difficulty, no matter the humility that that task requires. When ditches need to be dug, toilets need to be cleaned, no one is above the task. Or when walls need to be painted, no one is too important. This is the attitude. We should at least have the heart to serve and to help. There is no excuses for laziness in the Christian walk. King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When we work, we should do so with all our hearts, remembering we're not working for man. We're not working to gain man's approval. We're not working to get rich. We shouldn't be in the Christian ministry. We're working for the King of Kings the one that will abundantly reward his servants. You know, it's been said, when we serve the Lord, the pay is out of this world. That's rightly said, because our rewards are based on the riches of Jesus Christ. Also notice that these thanksgiving, or excuse me, also notice that these are thanksgiving choirs. God's people are a people of thanksgiving. That should be the nature of every believer. Listen to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 95. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Why? Verse 5, for the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 107, let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Notice each of these psalms base thanksgiving upon the character and work of God. Thanksgiving originates from a heart that is God-focused, a heart that trusts in the Lord. Are we thankful, people? Do we continually offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord? Thanksgiving stems from faith in the Lord. 
from trust in his word, from total confidence in God and his sovereign plan. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're established in faith. We're to walk in faith. We were saved through faith and we're to walk in faith and it abounds with thanksgiving. Faith enables us to have thankful hearts in every situation. Whether we're gathered together as a church, singing praises to our God, or whether we're stuck in our homes under mandatory quarantine. You see, the circumstance doesn't matter if our focus is on God. If we're trusting in Him and His plan, As we continue in Nehemiah, let's read verse 31 again, but continue through verse 37. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on the wall, on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuge gate. Hosea and half the leaders of Judah followed them with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the sons of the priests with trumpets, and Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his kinsman, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanael, Judah, Hanai, and the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them at the fountain gate. They went directly up the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east side. So here we have the first choir. The first choir led by Ezra and followed by Hosea and half the leaders likely began their process, their procession at the valley gate on the west side of Jerusalem because they headed to the right, actually headed south and up and around to the east side, coming first to the refuge gate. It's interesting that this valley gate was the same gate that Nehemiah exited the city to inspect the walls after returning from Judah or to Judah from Persia. Both choirs begin their journey to the temple on top of the walls, proceeding from the same gate. Also, it's interesting, Zechariah traces his descent from Asaph, a choir leader, a singer, a poet, and the author of Psalm 50, Psalm 73 through Psalm 83, 12 Psalms. And they used the musical instruments of David. Verses 38 and 39, we see 
the second choir proceeding to the left. Verse 38 says, the second choir proceeded to the left while I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of furnaces to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim by the old gate, by the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate and they stopped at the gate of the guard. The second choir also began It appears at the valley gate, but they headed left. They headed north, heading to the temple. Now, the scripture here doesn't tell who actually led this second choir, but it tells us that Nehemiah takes the same place as Hosea did with the first choir, following the choir with the other half of the Jewish leaders following him. And then we come to verse 40, Nehemiah 12, 40. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So did I and half the officials with me and the priest, Eliakim, Maaseah, Minamim, Micaiah, Eliokini, Zechariah, Hananiah, with the trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehoanan, Malchijah, Elam, Elzer. And the singers sang with Jezariah, their leader. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. So the two choirs and the Jewish leaders walked around the walls, proceeded. It was a procession. And they met at the house of God, the temple, led by uh, Jezahiah, They sang songs of thanksgiving to the Lord. They offered great sacrifices to the Lord, the Bible tells us. Notice that while the worship was led by men, the women and children participated in the worship and their joy was heard from afar. Speaking of the times Israel united in worshipful thanksgiving, Dr. John MacArthur writes this, though these may be few and far between, Moments like this characterize the life of obedience and blessing which God had set before Israel. The psalmist declares, Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The Israelites at this moment in time, we're united in worshipful thanksgiving. So here's some questions. Are we at Cornerstone Church united in worshipful thanksgiving? What could be a greater blessing than for a church to unite in worship of our God? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Nehemiah 12, 44 and 45 
So Nehemiah continues, on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. They gathered into them from the fills of the cities, the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served, for they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. On that same day, men were appointed to store the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, the offerings. They were responsible for collecting, storing, and it appears even distributing them. These offerings were to be used to support the priests and the Levites so that these leaders, these spiritual leaders could devote themselves to ministry. The people were rejoicing. They were being thankful for those that served them in ministry. Notice these men performed the worship of their God. We must remember Worship is much more than just singing songs of thanksgiving. Giving is worship. Obeying God is worship. Prayer is worship. Serving in the church and in our homes is worship. The Jews were serving God by caring for their leaders, their spiritual leaders. All these things are worship as long as they stem from a heart of worshipful thanksgiving. Otherwise, we just go through the motions. And I think Paul is pointing us to that in Colossians 4.2. Listen to what he says. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. See, we don't even pray to God apart from thanksgiving from a thankful heart. In Nehemiah 12, the Jews celebrated with thanksgiving from the temple of God. (coughs) Oh, man. In Nehemiah 12, the Jews celebrated with thanksgiving from the temple of God. Their voices were heard throughout the land. Today, As we've talked about in preceding weeks, the church is the temple of the living God, made up of believers. We're called living stones that make up this temple. We're called believer priests because we also offer sacrifices to our God. In Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks of offering our bodies, ourselves, as living sacrifices. He writes this, Verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of who God is and all that he's done, he's a merciful God that's provided salvation for the elect. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, living and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here's a question for me. Does God have all of me? 
can I honestly say that I'm a living sacrifice for my Savior? Can we say that, each of us? We are to offer up our bodies, ourselves, as living sacrifices to God, serving one another. We're also to offer up sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and good works. We looked at this scripture last summer, Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased." Are my words words of complaining and murmuring about my situation? Are my words thanksgiving to God? Are my deeds self-serving deeds? Or are they Christ-serving deeds, serving the body of Christ? Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 46 and 47, the last verses of chapter 12. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due the singers and the gatekeepers as each required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites. And the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron, the priest. Nehemiah looks back to the example of David and Asaph, highlighting their songs of praise and thanksgiving, their service. Both Zerubbabel and Nehemiah had sought to follow their examples, requiring that the people take care of these leaders in ministry, these who serve them in particular in ministry. In a large part, this is a message about serving. The people of Judah sacrificed, they served. In the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, they served the Lord. So what does all this mean for you and me? What do these expository points mean in my life and in yours? If you're in Christ, God has chosen you for the praise of his glory. He has chosen you for service, for good works. You know, we're very familiar with the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the passage continues in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He predestined so that we should walk in them, walk in those good works. Folks, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Good works, serving God, serving the body of Christ that we might bring glory to God's holy name. 
Keep in mind, the children of Judah were not people greater than any other people. They were not better than any other people. They were not more wise than others, not more mighty, not more noble. But they served a great God that has perfect wisdom, that is almighty, and that is above all. He's truly noble. God has chosen the weak things of the world. You may be thinking this morning, I'm really not qualified to serve the Lord. I look at my own self, my own issues, my own struggles, my lack of ability, or maybe I don't have a spiritual gift that somebody else has. Listen, we've already hinted at it, but listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despise. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. God has chosen us for his service. And Paul continues, gets to verse 31, and he says this, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. You see, it's not about us, and it's not about our abilities. God has chosen the weak things of the world that he might be glorified. He's chosen us. Most of us are not that special, but we serve a God that is special. Those words, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, are based on Jeremiah 9, 23. Jeremiah writes, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let, let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Think about it. God chose Abraham a man with a, an old man with a barren wife and no children coming from a pagan family. And God made him a great nation and promised to bless the whole world through him. When Abraham's descendants found themselves slaves in Egypt, God chose Moses, a man with a speech impediment who had been a shepherd for 40 years to lead them out of Egypt. When God was choosing a new king after Saul, Jesse did not even bother calling his youngest son David in from the sheepfold. Yet God chose David, the son 
whose own father, Jesse, thought did not qualify. Amos was a poor farmer, but God made him a prophet. Matthew was a tax collector. John and Peter were fishermen. James and Jude were carpenters. Paul was a tent maker. But God used each of these. He made these disciples and writers of holy scriptures and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ who were willing to give their lives for the Lord. It doesn't matter how insignificant you might think you are. That's actually an advantage because God has chosen the weak things of the world. Most of us are not wise. Most of us are not mighty. And most of us are not noble. That way we're not ever tempted to boast in our own abilities, our own strength. It points us to boasting in the Lord. And as again, again, as Paul said, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast in his goodness and his grace. The people of Judah were rejoicing, not in their abilities or their strength or even their perseverance. They were boasting. They were rejoicing. They were giving thanks to God for what God had done. So we boast in his goodness and his grace. His grace to save us from our sin. His grace to use us as believers. May we at Cornerstone Church unite in worshipful thanksgiving. May we turn our eyes away from the problems of this world and trust in the Lord who is faithful, who is sovereign, and who loves his own. May we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, offering sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and good works to him. Folks, he is worthy. Now, if you're listening this morning and you've never been born again, you cannot serve the Lord. You cannot worship the Lord in thanksgiving. You are under the judgment of a holy God. You can't know him apart from his saving work in your life. You see, we are all born into this world, dead to God, separated from God, because God is holy and we are not. We're born in sin. A lot of people today are seeking a God that just overlooks sin. They invent a God in their own minds that's not a just judge. By our own nature, we want to do our own things. That's the sin nature and invent our own standards, what we think is right. We think that a good God, a loving God, should just overlook sin. But I'm glad this morning that while God is a loving God, He's also just. He demands payment for sin. He does not just overlook sin, but He did something about our sin. God sent his own son to take the punishment of our sin. He was buried and he rose from the dead the third day, according to the scripture. You see, it's about God and what he had done. Just like with Israel, they were rejoicing in what God had done. We are to rejoice and we're to look to him for what he's done, not depending on our own works 
any goodness that we might think that we have, but admitting our sins, sorry for our sins, seeking God to change us, we look to him. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, but God, after telling them that they were dead in their sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. You understand, it's by grace It's only by the grace of God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Paul also wrote to the church of Roman believers, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't clean up our lives so that God will love us. He loved us when we were yet sinners and sent his son to take the punishment to be that satisfying sacrifice for our sins. He also told the Roman believers in chapter four, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised for the sake of our justification. You see, the gospel is a complete gospel. He died. He took our sins. He became sin for us, the one who knew no sin. He was buried And he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Paul said to the Romans as well, for the wages of sin is death. That's separation from a holy God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The moment that we come to that place of repentance, believing on him, we are born again. We have in that very moment eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin once we die and stand before the Lord. When we believe on him, we are born again. We're born from above, giving us life everlasting. And I'll close with the words of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon that he gave in the last years, last year actually of his life in 1892. Charles Spurgeon said, I remember when the Lord put that precious ointment upon my wounded spirit. Nothing ever healed me until I understood that he died in my place, died that I might not die. And now today my heart would bleed itself to death were it not that I believe that he, his own self, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. As the people of Israel on this day in history that we've read about this morning, dedicated the temple and rejoiced. They lifted up their voices in thanksgiving. May we be thankful May we recognize what you have done in our lives by sending your son to pay the sin debt, to take our place, to satisfy the wrath of your Holy Father that we could know you. And because you were resurrected, we in Christ have been resurrected with him. Father, bless our day. Use us for your glory. 
May we today offer sacrifices of praise. May we offer sacrifices of good works and service, loving and serving one another in the body of Christ. And may we not boast in these things. May we boast in what you've done. And may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.